at 16, uh, walking home from work one night, my cousin forgot to pick me up on her way to work. Um, she was a CO at the jail, and um, I was kidnapped that night and raped and yeah. held for like a few hours. I don't even remember. I, I blacked out. I don't remember how I got home. I don't remember. I remember every single detail. I To this day, I can smell him. I can see his face. I know what I had on, what he had on, everything. And um, other girls were present, too. So, welcome back to Conversations with James Shannon. Today, we will be speaking with Lady J, who grew up in poverty and she had a very tough, tough childhood. I'm amazed at how she was able to overcome everything that she went through in her life mental and physical abuse, homelessness, suicide attempts, and more, all before she was 16 years old. But she continued to do her things that I wouldn't wish on anybody. And she was able to take what she went through and help others with her books and her multimedia company and and speaking. And I'm I'm just telling you, all this is a powerful one. This is my conversation with Lady J. Lady J has been through a lot, including sexual abuse, suicide attempts, domestic violence, homelessness, and more. She is here to discuss how she dealt with the trauma in her life and how she was able to bounce back. Lady J, I want to thank you for agreeing to have this conversation with me today. No problem. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Um, I, I do want to go all the way back to when you was a child. Can you tell me how, how it was growing up? Yeah, so... um. The beginning of my childhood uh, was pretty good considering, you know, growing up in poverty. Um, Both my parents were doing drugs. You know, dad was an alcoholic, drug addict, too. I learned how to cook crack cocaine by the age of around three or four Um, and roll blunts. My father leave alcohol out for our consumption. (laughs) <laughs> just open on the table, you know, toddlers walking around. And the house that I grew up in was very violent. So my mo- mother and father fought a lot. I mean, you're talking about, we're not talking about just hitting, we're talking about bloodshed. My mother went through the front glass door before. It was just crazy. So um, my mother left my father when I was about five. So she wanted to... Um, have a better life for me and my two siblings. So I'm the oldest. Um, I have two younger siblings. Um, And she, you know, got back in the church, you know, tried to get off the drugs. She did. She was a singer. She was a a, a singer at night. And then during the day, you know, she was um, administrative assistant. So um, for a while, she uh, worked two jobs to take care of me and my sisters. Um, once she left my father, that was it. Like around between the age of five and eight, I think mm-hmm. I saw my dad maybe a handful of times. And after that, I, he was completely out of our life. So I know who he was, but I didn't know, I didn't know him, you know, um, having no type of relationship or nothing. So then I became a parent a little bit around 11. I started, um, or really a little bit before that, um, I was the oldest. And so I uh, kind of first it started out with me just helping my mom out, you know, combing my sister's hair, helping them with homework, making sure they ate lunch and dinner. And then something happened when I turned 11 where my mother just, uh, she just checked out of being a parent, literally. She met a man. Uh, she converted to um, from Christianity to, to um, Nation of Islam. 
And then she met a man who was fresh out of the penitentiary. Later on, we would figure out that he was in there for sexual abuse of minors. Um, He was a registered violent sex offender in three states, including Indiana, which is where I reside. So around the age of 11, things started, I mean, just everything just changed, literally. Um, I was molested at a friend's house by a stranger. Uh, My mother told me it was my fault. Wait, at 11, it was your fault? Yeah, that's what she said. Um, I, I never got any help. Um, the police were called, um, the, the mother of the girl who I was spending the night with, she called the police. They looked for him and that was it. My mother never checked into it. She, they never, you know, caught the guy, nothing. So around the age of 11, I started to be a little bit depressed a little bit. Um, I used school though as an escape. So um, I knew I was super smart, super talented. I mean, I got into every extracurricular activity I could. It was kind of like escape in reality. So I got to travel a lot, singing all over and running track and student council, everything. And then uh, when my mother introduced the guy into our lives, um, he was very you know, abusive verbally, physically. And of course he was sexually abusing one of us in the household. Um, I became the protector. So my mother never said anything to him. She did not care what he said, what he did. Everything was our fault. Even the sexual abuse, it was our fault. And it angered me so bad. And um, I was, you know, I became a runaway around 12, kept running away from home, kept trying to tell people what was going on. Nobody would listen. Nobody believed us. My mother is really good at you know, um, keeping up a facade in front of people, even my grandmother. (laughs) So nobody believed this until it was too late. So, um, she took me to the children's bureau. So I don't know if you know what that is, but here in Indiana, we have, um, something called the children's bureau where parents can turn their kids over if they, um, don't want them anymore. They have a safe place for like infants. You can drop them off if you don't, you know what I'm saying? If you're not ready to be a parent, they even have what's called respite care where you can drop your kids off for a couple of days or weeks if you need a break. And um, my mother just packed my stuff up one day and told me that I was coming in between her and him and she couldn't take care of me no more. So she took me and left me there. Wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. She took you there because you was coming between her and the, the new guy? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And um, yep, she left me there. So apparently my little sister was raised in hell at home because I wasn't around um, anymore. So she came back to pick me up a couple days later and then told me I couldn't stay there anymore. So I was homeless at 15. Wow. I, I'm sorry. I can't wrap my head around how... Or did she know that he was a convicted sex offender prior to meeting him or did that, that came out later on? She didn't even care to look. Um, so no, she did not know. But um, being that my mother has been in domestic violence relationship after domestic violence relationship, <laughs> He was that already. She knew that off the top. And the way he would talk to us, um, I mean, like literally threaten us. And I ain't talking about just I'm a I'm a pop you, I'm a whoop you. I'm talking about for real threats. And he was abusive to her. So uh, it, it, it was just crazy. Before that happened, I guess she thought that that was going to make me fall in line and go along with the foolishness that was going on at home. But I was always taught that you... You know what I'm saying? You are always on the side of right. You do right. You know what I'm saying? Right is right and wrong is wrong, no matter who it is. So um, before she she did that, um, I tried to commit suicide three times, um, twice when I was 14 and once when I was 15. I, 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 I took some pills the first time that didn't work. And the second time I tried stabbing myself in the stomach, that didn't work. 
still alive and then the last time I drank cleaning fluid. So yeah, at 15 I was on my own and I was just kind of trying to figure it out. <laughs> With the, the suicide, so if I was to ask you why did you want to do it? Do you know the reason why? Yeah, so um, life for me just got really really bad. I, I just lived in hell every single day. At, at 11, between, well, I'll say around 12, when you start to go from a role of being a kid or trying to be a kid and into being a parent, like I already didn't have a father, you know, constantly trying to track him down, then having a, a parent and, a, uh, you know, a mother who just didn't care, mm-hmm. you know, along with everything else that was going on at home. Uh, the abuse and all that kind of stuff. And we saw signs signs of of stuff that was going on with my like little sisters and stuff like that. And then, you know, her, uh, just all the stuff that she was doing. It was, it it was a lot. I wanted to check out. I was angry. I was depressed. I was sad. I stopped all my extracurricular activities in school. Nobody even noticed. Like I just dropped out of everything. (laughs) So I was hurting and I didn't know how to make it stop. Wow. And that was all by the age of 15, you said, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. after 15, did similar experiences continue to happen or did you find a way to make it stop? Well, no. Um, my cousin, who was 21 at the time, she found me somehow. Um, she had just had a baby, brand new you know, baby, and she took me in. And so um, at the time, her mom, which is my aunt, lived with her as well. And so they let me stay with them. And I got my first job because I had to, you know, um, she can't take care of me, you know. <laughs> you know, so I had to you know, get my own clothes, shoes, school, stuff like that. Um, I tried reaching out to, like, my godmother. She was in the Navy, so I had to wait for her to, like, be discharged. So she moved around a lot. And then at 16, uh, walking home from work one night, my cousin forgot to pick me up on her way to work um she was a co at the jail and um i was kidnapped that night and raped and held for like a few hours i don't even remember i i blacked out i don't remember how i got home i don't remember i remember every single detail i to this day i can smell him i can see his face i know what i had on what he had on everything and um other girls were present too so when I finally reached home uh, or my aunt's house, uh, my aunt and my cousin's house, I think it was probably like around two or three a.m. in the morning. My aunt just kept asking me, "What happened to you? What happened?" And I wouldn't say anything. Like I, I just couldn't, I couldn't say anything. I don't remember from that time, like from leaving there to getting home, and then that part is like just a blackout. Something similar like that almost happened to, to my daughter a couple of years ago. And it's, it's so scary that I, I can't imagine just, you say you're just trying to walk home from work and something like that happens. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. It, and later on, I, I kind of, I'm not going to say that it was my fault, but it could have been prevented because I, I know better than to get in the car with strangers. I'm 16 years old. It's 11 o'clock at night. It's pitch black. I at least a two and a half hour walk home from where I worked at to where I stayed at. And so when this guy pulls up, you know, asked me, do I want to ride? Hey, he kind of approached like him, approached me like he was a father figure. He had three young girls in the back. They were knocked out. 
you know, except for one of them, but you can tell she was sleepy and he was just like, Hey, well, you know, it's too, it's too late for you to be out here by yourself. You sure you don't want to ride, you know? And you know, just like that. So I, at first I said no. And then he circled back and asked me again. I was like, okay, it should be okay. You know, these are his daughters. He introduced me to, you know, at least that's what he told me. You know what I'm saying? He gave me their names and stuff like that. But when I got in the car, um, he pulled into some apartments and was saying he needed to drop them off real quick because he needed to, you know, get them in the bed. And so I, I wanted to sit in the car. He said, well, no, you can come in. I don't want you out here by yourself. You know, it's not going to take that long. And after that, he locked the door and went, let me go. I would never tell somebody to get in a car with a stranger, but I do see why you thought it was okay being that yeah. there were those other girls in the car. So I mean, that that makes sense, but it's just... There's so many bad people out there. It's just you can't trust anybody. You're right about that. <laughs> just, I'm, I'm a little curious. How is your relationship with your parents today or with your sister? Or do you have a relationship with them? So, no, I don't have a relationship with my mother or my sister. Since I left home at 15 or since my mother put me out, um, she has never picked up the phone to see how I am, what I'm doing. She doesn't really know my kids. My kids don't know her. Um, I mean, I got teenagers, so. <laughs> um, she just refuses to, you know, admit. And don't get me wrong. I, I love my mother. Um, I have hold no animosity. It, I, I forgave her when I was a teenager. You know, I, I tried, I was addicted to um, narcotics. I was addicted to Vicodin uh, for a few years. You know, I was told I couldn't have kids with this major condition I had. And she always showed up for like the things that if I was about to die, you know what I'm saying? Or something, right. <laughs> something, or, you know, one of the kids being born. And then after that, she show up, show her face, and then she out. Like, that's it. Wow. My father, we just, let's see, I'm 37, seven years ago, my father found me and, you know, apologized and said he wanted to like build a relationship with me and my kids and stuff like that. And so that's going really good. I do have a relationship. I do have a relationship with my dad. And your sisters? No, my mother turned them against me when I was younger. So um, they're angry that I, because it gives them an insight into like what life was like at home, but they'll, uh, they'll get over it <laughs> or, or they won't, I don't you know. <laughs> but um, I, I had to decide that, you know, sweeping things under the rug was not helping me and killing myself wasn't helping. And so once I had kids, I had to figure out a way, you know what I'm saying? To get myself together because I started repeating domestic violence relationships and, you know, doing the most going from being extremely isolated to, extremely promiscuous um to just letting people use my body letting people use me any kind of way it just it wasn't good so after these events that happened to you as a child you continue doing them as an adult in, in a sense you were in relationships that were violent um, you said you addicted to narcotics and you were um letting people use your body you're saying right I, you know, I got married. I had two kids. That relationship was hell added to the hell I was coming out of. I met him at 17. We got married at, when I was 19. <laughs> uh, if I could describe that marriage, that was worse than everything that happened to me in my childhood rolled into one. Wow. When I say that it was, he was evil and it was like out of nowhere. It was just like a, a switch flipped. 
I, I, that's how I would describe it. I would rather go through everything I went through in my childhood than to go through that ever again. How long were you with him? Um, we were together for five years. So you said 17 to... That's 22, About 22. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm thinking, so if from his age of three, you learn how to how to, how to cook crack and roll blunts up to 22, life has just been hell. Mm-hmm. Any time in life, have you ever found a time when you were happy? There were spurts. I will say that along the way, God um, allowed certain people to come into my life to help me along the way, you know, while I'm trying to figure it out, because it, it really was trial and error. I had nobody to show me anything. I ain't went through no therapy, you know, nothing. So, um, you know, I went from one domestic violence relationship to another. I got pregnant again. You know, he tried to kill me and the baby. Then I got into another relationship. That was domestic violence relationship. Had another baby. You know, so I have four kids and you know, I was married um, again. So I will say that the happiest time has been, I would have to say probably the last seven years of my life. I worked really, really, really hard to be healed and overcome from and overcome everything that I had gone through. So, I mean, I literally had to, I had to learn what it was like to, even though I was taught like about God and stuff like that, um, I knew of him, but I didn't know what it was like to have a relationship with him. That makes sense. So I got into this program for like people who were abused and people who were the abusers at this church that I was at. And that helped me um, some, but it wasn't until I started writing my book until God, you know, told me to put my story on paper in 2010 to where that became therapeutic because um, the kidnapping, I never uttered a word to anybody about that. Like, even though my aunt and cousin knew something happened to me, I wouldn't say, I mean, she could tell, you know, because of my clothes and, you know, crying and stuff like that, but I never uttered that to anybody. And so when I started to write my life story, that was very therapeutic. And then God began to show me certain things about myself and give me things to do to address the root issues behind all of the things that I was doing, the mistakes that I was making, the people that I was, you know, aligning myself with, the men that I was with, and all these other things. Like all of those things in my childhood caused me to hate myself. You know what I'm saying? I love myself and I like me. And I felt, you know, like really dirty, unwanted. And all of it started with my parents. And I had to make the choice that I didn't want my kids to grow through that because it's a generational curse really in my family. My mom and all of her sisters were uh, sexually abused by my grandfather and I didn't know that until after he died he was the only father figure I knew all of their kids were molested a lot of them by their my aunt's boyfriends abuse was something that my grandfather did to his sons you know physical abuse so everything is just a, a cycle and I was just determined I didn't want my kids to be that way and so the mental health issues in my family are just through the roof and I just didn't, I was determined I wasn't going to live that way. If I had, if God wouldn't allow me to kill myself, then I have to find a way to, I want to live, not just coexist. Right, right. So that's what I did. The book that you wrote, is that the Life Support Series? Yes. Mm-hmm. There's three parts to it. Um, surviving Life's Worst Challenges, Rehab, and then the finale is Impossible. So Impossible is supposed to um, uh, be finished this year. You know, I talk about addressing root issues after, you know, this 
discussing my whole life story and it's very explicit in detail. So I would say brace yourself for readers, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it goes through the steps I, I, I did, the questions I had to answer my, answering um, the steps I had to take, what I had to do, what I had to give up, what I had to walk away from, how to start the process of forgiveness, you know, all of that. How to extract the negative and start replanting and rebuilding your life. It's hard to do with children, but if you have children, they auto-motivate you to do, Mm -hmm. to get yourself in a position mentally and emotionally that's healthy enough to where you can be a great and effective parent. Otherwise, you pass those things down to your kids. Right. So I just, I didn't want that. Cause this is something that I definitely, definitely want to read. Where can I get it or get the, um, I know DC said the third one's come out this year, but um, where can mm-hmm. I just get the other two before I get the, the third one? Um, you can get it on amazon.com. Um, just type in life support and then my last name, or you can go to my website at www.ladyj.co. Um, and even when I was writing these books, that's when I started my first business. It was a nonprofit and it was helping homeless people. You know, I knew what it was like to be homeless, <clears throat> not just as a teenager, but as a parent, too. I was homeless with my kids. I had to use my body to make sure we had a place to stay. Um, you know, I almost had to put them in temporary foster care. You know, my last my ex-husband, he <clears throat> tricked all of our money, you know, and skipped town. And before I knew it they were evicting me and I lost like my business, my cars, everything. I lost everything. We had nothing but the clothes on our back. Um, mm. and I knew nothing about it. So I, um, you know, had to sleep in my car before, you know, my kids, I know what that's like. So that was very, you know, successful. One thing that I've always been good at is business. So in the corporate world, I've been blessed to have some amazing jobs in a lot of different industries. So when I wrote this book, it got into the hands of someone I know who happened to be um, one of the directors at Job Corps. And once they had me come in to speak and tell my story, that just opened up a whole nother world. So then I had like Job Corps all over in the Midwest and school programs and, you know, juvenile detention centers and everything, you know, everybody reaching out wanting me to come and speak. And then that's where life support. Uh, was created the company um, mentoring and life coaching so out of the box type program so teaching the young people how to do what I did how to still um, keep going through life you know only now you have the tools that I didn't have you know so um, being for them what I wish I had so I started that and then you know doing radio and and TV interviews turned into me having my own radio show then that turned into me having my own radio station then that turned into me now owning a full uh, multimedia company. So TV, radio, magazine, and media and live coverage services. So is this EGO Entertainment or something different? Yeah, Ego Entertainment. Oh, Ego yeah. Entertainment. All right. Yeah. Um. So I know you, you have uh, No Limits Ministry and Ego Entertainment. Can you tell me a little more about those? Yeah. So Ego Entertainment is a multimedia company. It, it consists of an online digital interactive magazine, which is Ego Magazine. We have um, JQLM Radio, which is a radio station that broadcasts all over the world. We have Ego TV, um, which is a channel on Roku. We also provide um, like live coverage and media services. So whether that's the red carpet events, I work, I've worked with you know celebrities. We come out to 
you know, different events and um, set up, do, you know, B-roll footage, do live interviews and recorded interviews. And um, so that's what Ego Entertainment is all about. But it's also, I also open it up to businesses, especially Black-owned businesses, but really any business that wants to advertise who would otherwise not be able to, you know, afford it. So that's the same thing for television. So we also advertise for small business across all of the major television um, channels. So I have a, a agent Comcast that works with me in that and AT&T universe, uh, universe, I'm sorry. And no limits ministry incorporated. That's the nonprofit. So we basically serve the homeless um, okay. and family. Awesome. I, uh, I love it. I, I love that you were able to, to find success after the, uh, the tragedy and stuff that you've been through. Definitely over the last seven years, you know, that's like, since you rebuilt the relationship with your father and everything has gotten better. Are you currently in a relationship right now? Yes. And I've been in this relationship for almost four years. It'll be four years in October. And it's, it's different. Oh my God. (laughs) Um, I will say he challenges me. Okay. Cause he's the first man ever. I'm 37. He's the first man to not ever like raise his hand to me or mistreat me or abuse me in any way. I suffered a ruptured brain aneurysm 10 months ago. No, 11 months ago. And um, I'm still in rehab. And um, when I say he has been, I can't even really put it in the word. I mean, he quit his job to take care of me 24 seven. And then he's a trucker. So he, he transferred to a different company that would let, allow him to be home daily. Um, he had to take like two weeks off, you know, took care of all my business affairs, all my property, you know, um, commercial property, my kids, everything. It's the first relationship that I went into where I knew who I was, knew whose I was, where I liked me, I loved me, and that I had set boundaries and expectations for myself that I know that I deserve and that I, you know, that others need to meet, you know what I'm saying, in order to be a part of my life. But I've lived my entire life trying to be for others what I didn't have, overcompensating in those areas, just give, give, give. My mindset was always, well, if I can't have it or I'll never, you know, enjoy this in this lifetime, I at least want others to. But that's what got me into this position. So, you know, being a mom of four kids, running three companies with several divisions and speaking here and traveling there and business coaching for clients. I, it was just too much and my body, my body just shut down. So uh, now I, I can't do anything. I'm slowly but surely getting back, you know, up on my feet. By at least the beginning of next year, I'll be able to get back to work. It'll have to look different because I have to live with this thing in my head for the rest of my life because um, it's just coiled off. So I just have to be careful about, you know, what I do, how much I do. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, are you going to you know, cut back on all the stuff that you do? I know you do a lot. Yeah. So um, I had to do it differently. And a lot of things I had to cut out instead of trying to do everything simultaneously. So, um, of course, I had to add more staff to help. And then I have to be more strategic about what I do and how I do and then have to learn how to say no. You know, I can't say yes to everybody. I can't help everybody. So. All right. What advice can you give for people that have gone through some of the similar experiences that you've had? First and foremost, I would say. Understand that trials, pain, all of those things are temporary. And your attitude while you're in it contributes to how long 
you have to stay in it. Because a lot of times we are in the valley longer than we actually have to be because of how we view things and the way we go through it. Everything that you go through is not for you. Like everything that I went through is not just for me and oh, I learned this lesson or I gained this tool and that's it. It, it. It's there for you to pass it on to somebody else because you will come across people who are now going through what you've been through or what you're coming out of and you're going to have to pass down those tools to them and offer some comfort to them. You are the other side to where they're trying to get to um, because it, it's difficult to see that when you're in it. And it doesn't feel good, it doesn't look good when you're in it, but it's all necessary. Like, I wouldn't change one thing about anything that I've gone through or any mistakes that I've made because it has literally shaped me into who I am today. You know, for those who are believers, there's that verse, Romans 8 and 28, you know, all things work together, you know, for the good to them who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. But we forget that the verse says all things. So that means the good, the bad, the ugly, you know what I'm saying? The ups, the downs, everything works together. And unfortunately, a lot of people who've gone through what I've gone through, I don't know anybody who's gone through what I've gone through, actually. I know people who've gone, who have been addicted to drugs or people who have, you know, been sexually abused. I know people who've been, you know, in domestic relationships, but I don't know anybody who's been through all 20 things in their lifetime. It has it's still here to to tell the story <laughs> or or is not insane um and especially with the brain aneurysm i mean i knew that i was gonna die they told me you know told, told you know they set up um, funeral arrangements for me you know they gave him power of returning and everything i wasn't expected to make it so when i god's track record in my life is is impeccable and so I know that his hands has been on me this entire time. And I may not have understood why I had to go through those things, even though I do now. It is very important for us to understand who we are, whose we are, and what our purpose is. Um, and that is what you what you work towards. Every pain, you know, every hurt, every trial that we go through is there to shape us, make us, um, and to help us gain more, you know, tools and wisdom as we go through life. And so we can't expect life to just be peaches and cream all the time. We'll never learn anything. We'll never gain anything. Right. Yeah. I always say that no pain lasts forever, even though it seemed like, you know, it, it won't ever go away, but you just yeah. sometimes time heals things. And that must have been a horrible feeling to sit there and be told that you're going to die and have funeral arrangements made. Yeah. I couldn't talk, you know, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't talk. I couldn't walk. I couldn't even sit. I couldn't even, I couldn't be in, in light, you know, I had to stay in darkness, um, you know, messed up my eyes, everything. So um, I just closed my eyes and started to cry because I knew I, I couldn't speak and say, I want to see my kids, you know, one last time. I accepted that I was going to die. I wasn't afraid of dying at that point. I was worried that I was going to leave this earth, not get to say goodbye to my children. Even though my younger two were there when it happened to me, right. I still wanted to see them again, you know, and just realizing that I had given out so much to everybody and I never really truly learned how to take care of me. You know, while I did the work to overcome those things, I never got to the point where I took care of me. I was so busy taking care of everybody else and doing for everybody else. And then I, it dawned on me that 
I put others too before my kids in a sense where I ran myself into the ground so bad with trying to do, you know, be there for them and, and all of what they're into um, and other people's kids and, you know, other people's businesses to where now I've, I have this medical condition that is now fatal and, you know, it's not fair to them. So, so I'm learning I don't have a choice. I didn't have a choice, you know, now <laughs> and still don't. I'm learning that um, now I have limits, literally. So either I can stay within those limits and figure out how to live life with certain disabilities and still working on a lot of different things, or I cannot and then find myself six feet under this. It's just that simple. Mm. All right. Well, Lady J, are you happy today? Oh yeah. 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 I, I am. Um, I'm, I'm happy. I, every, listen, every time I look back over my life, even just these last 10, 11 months, I'm still in awe. Like I I'm speechless because I'm like, I should not be here. <laughs> I should not be here. It's one thing to want to take, to try to take your own life because you got control over when you're leaving. It's a whole nother thing when it's taken from you in the blink of an eye. But when the things that surrounded this situation and just to see how God has, man, just the favor has just been crazy. It, it, it just, it amazes me. Like when I had the aneurysm, I had just moved into a new place, me and my kids. It's seven days after I, I moved in, the aneurysm happened. 30 days before it happened, I got a brand new car. Three months before it happened, I opened up a new, my second commercial building. There were so many things that were in place that I had just did. And then, bam, it was gone, you know. <laughs> but when I say that the banks wiped out any unpaid balances, literally zero dollars. You know, I had a bill for like almost $200,000, $195,000 for health care that they said they weren't going to go back and pay once this happened to me because they had to upgrade my insurance, but then, you know, disability went back and wiped out, wiped that all out. Wow. You know, I had people donate almost $2,000 to, you know, Mark, so he could take care of me and get the kids food and stuff like that. Because once I went down, you know, a lot of my company's income, so everything fell on him. The building that I had, they just transferred it to one of my tenants and told me not to worry about the balance only of the previous month that I was there. I mean, just everything was just in place. The, you know, the place that I moved into, they were like, oh, don't worry about it. Just pay when you can. Just pay before the end of the month, every month. And it, it was just crazy. Wow. Like, this Ooh. happens to nobody. No. <laughs> like, ever. Like, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> you know, so I know that God has a purpose and a plan, and I know that there's a lesson in it for me. Patience is definitely one of them. Learning how to say no, you know, so I'm still learning how to be a better version of myself every day. While I do like me and I do love me, I hadn't learned how to fully love me to the extent to where I don't keep neglecting me. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so that is one of the biggest lessons that I'm learning. And now one of the hardest lessons that I'm learning now is that I'll never be the same. You know, I'm 37 and I can't remember the beginning of this conversation. I'm limited to how far I can walk or stand with the cane. Uh, I went from not walking at all to, you know, a wheelchair to a walker now to a cane. And I still have to use a wheelchair if I'm out and about 
for a long period of time, depending upon if it's going to be a lot of walking. It's, it's so many things that comes along with this. So I'm, I'm, I'm having to grieve the old me. But you know what? <laughs> You're alive. You're not supposed to be. Right, right, exactly. And that for that, I am very grateful. Yeah. I don't know anybody that's gone through everything that you've gone through. You can take one or two things that you've been through. You can find somebody easily, but somebody mm-hmm. that has gone through all of these things. And, and mind you, we haven't even talked about everything you've gone through because we be talking for hours. Right. You know. Oh, yeah. Just like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Man, when, when I was doing uh, all my reading upon you, I was like, oh, my God. Am I reading? Did she? I, I was getting sad. And it's just like. um <laughs> But yeah, but there is so much more that you, you, you've gone through that we can learn from that people can figure out, you know, how to be happy afterwards or, or find success uh, afterwards. If they wanted to learn more about you besides uh, going to LadyJ.co, where else can they go? Oh, what are the best places to go to learn more about you and find out more about you? So you can definitely follow any of my social media. I haven't been on there a lot lately. It's kind of hit and miss with me right now because I'm trying to get back into the groove of things, but it's so hard. So you can find me on Facebook at Lady J Brand, Instagram, uh, LadyJ.co, same as my website. Those are probably the best ways to learn more about me. Um, you'll see a whole lot more here soon. I'll be, is it NBC or Channel 8, whatever Channel 8 is news um, i'll be on there with patty spittler yeah there are other channels that will be on in the midwest but i just know that channel here <laughs> they're doing a um two-part story on my life story but if you want to hear my any of my shows and things of that story you can go to my website and they're posted there you know um the impossible radio show and the uh, business Fingers spotlight show um, my social media and my website are going to be the best ways that you can figure out more of the you know about me and what I do um if you want to like request to talk to me or you know have me speak or something you can go there as well awesome yeah I'll definitely leave those in the show notes for this episode and again I want to thank you for coming and just sharing a part of your story you know and and just being here and I wish you the best I'm glad that you were able to find a relationship with your dad and find a man in your life now that's better than all the ones you had before so and I, I wish you the best going forward Thank you so much. And thank you for having me on with you. Um, I really enjoyed, <laughs> enjoyed this. You're actually helping me with my speech. So <laughs> getting back to that, uh, oh, you know, speech therapy, this is part of speech therapy. So <laughs> um, I appreciate you for having me on. Of course, of course. Thank you. Hey, take care. All right. You too. Lady J, thank you so much for being open and sharing your story with this. It's very moving, very touching. And for those of you that are listening, when someone is telling you something wrong is going on, you have to listen. You have to investigate. They're telling you because they trust that you can help them. Also, parents, share the story with your children. We must teach them. Seriously, never get into a car with a stranger. I'm very happy that Lady J was able to survive her encounter and everything else that she experienced. But... So many stories have a different and tragic ending and let's do our best to try to limit or prevent as many as we possibly can. And I also want to say that if you know anyone or suspect anyone to be suicidal, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Line at 
1-800-273-8255. Again, that's 1-800-273-8255. Lady J, I want to thank you again for this conversation. I'm happy that you are in a different and better relationship now. And I wish you the best going forward. Until next time, everybody. Take care.